What are you waiting for? Welcome to This Is Not A Dress Rehearsal Podcast. Stop holding your breath, waiting for perfect conditions before you move through the world. Tune in for real stories of real people who understand the freedom to live well. Your host, Bonnie Sewell, is a veteran wealth manager with 12 grandchildren, helping clients over the last 30 years enjoy their wealth. You can listen to all podcasts at www.americancapitalplanning.com slash podcast or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Cenelia Harris is the owner of Harris & Harris Wealth Management. She is a certified financial planner and a previous member of the CNBC Financial Advisor Council, one of Maryland's top 100 women advisors and named one of the 100 most influential advisors both in 2017 and 2019 by Investopedia. She is the 2012 recipient of the Financial Planning Association's Diversity Scholarship Award. Most notably, her blog, Finance and Stilettos, was recognized by Investment News as one of the best blogs for women and investing. Her previous experience includes positions with Merrill Lynch, Edward Jones Investments, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and the NASDAQ stock market. Cenelia Harris graduated cum laude from St. Paul's College in Lawrenceville, Virginia. She holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration with a concentration in Accounting. Welcome, Zanelia. Hello, and thank you for having me. Let's turn the lens back a little bit. Where did you grow up, and what were you like as a kid? <laughs> so, I grew up in a small town in Southern Virginia. It's called Cambridge, Virginia, and it was a farming town, so they grew tobacco. And growing up, I think if you were to ask my family, I was always money conscious. I was always a saver and I was always counting my pennies. So one of the things that I share with my daughter is that uh, pennies make dollars. And so whenever I saw a penny on the ground, I always picked up the coins. I was a very determined child. I grew up with my grandmother. So I think sometimes she just didn't know what to do with me because I had such strong opinions at a young age about the things that I would do and the things that I wouldn't do. And I was very focused. I knew early on that I did not want to grow up. I mean, I didn't want to stay in that small town. I knew I wanted to move away and I wanted to create a life for myself that was very different than what I saw amongst the people that I was surrounded by growing up. So it was very important to me to be a professional. And so that's what I was thriving for. So your daughter at 13, obviously she's going to grow up in a world with probably a lot less emphasis on the kind of coins you and I are familiar with. And maybe she'll be involved with cryptocurrency, digital coins, things like that. But the very nature of money being changed so we have contactless payments, she's probably not going to ever sit with a paper statement and you know reconcile her checking statement when she gets older. How are you incorporating money ideas, since this is also your profession, into your daily life with her to try to help her navigate that world? Because as you probably know, we don't get that education otherwise. Right. So I think what I have done, well, I feel that what I have done is just talking about it. And I think that's where it starts is just having a conversation. 
And one of the things that is, I think that has stuck with her is the importance of knowing where your money is going and really thinking about how do I want to use this money? Is this important in my life? So one of the things that I want to emphasize to her, and I hope that I am, is about enjoying experiences as opposed to accumulating just to have it, right? No matter what it looks like, whether it's in cryptocurrency or on dollars and cents, is really understanding the purpose of money and that it does have a purpose and that you need to attach a purpose to monies that you set aside for anything in life, whether it's long-term for when you retire or short-term for taking a vacation. I want her to understand the importance of having an attachment to the money, not being disconnected from it. And I hope that she's gaining the idea about saving, you know, putting money aside because we talk about that. Actually, the way that I'm seeing that manifested is that she actually saves everything that she gets. (laughs) So she spends our money. But (laughs) for her, she actually saves the money that she gets because, you know, we ask her, she's never been a child that wanted a lot of things, which I'm so grateful for. She doesn't want a lot of things. So when you ask her if she's given money as a gift, well, what do you want to do with it? And the first thing that, that comes out of her mouth is saving it. Mm-hmm. for something later. Well, I think her ability to push off that quick reward will really serve her well, as you know, from the work that we both do. So keeping that lens turned back a bit, how did you come to the work you're doing? Not just, you know, how did you become interested in money, but you're doing wealth management, which is a white man's world after all this time. So how did you come to that work specifically? I think I was on this course my entire life, to be honest with you. But what really honed it in for me was in college. And every month I would spend the money and purchase Money Magazine because I wanted to be better with money than what I saw in my household. And I realized that I also wanted to help others. So I used to read Money Magazine and there was a segment in each month's Addition that where they interviewed an advisor and that advisor provided input into a family's lives, whether it was a family, someone who's single, but they gave financial advice on what they should do with their money. And that was fascinating to me. And it piqued my interest in wanting to explore all of the, the things that I could do with helping people with their money. So then there was another magazine that I read. Uh, later on uh, that talked about the different types of positions you could have helping people with their money. And so tying the two together, I came to the conclusion that I wanted to be a financial advisor. When I graduated from college, I came out during a recession, but I had a job. I worked in the federal government at the time and I shared with my office mates and colleagues, you know, what I wanted to do and told one in particular, my interest in helping people with their money. Well, he actually researched for me all that I needed to do to become a certified financial planner. And he gave that information to me and said, here, this is what you're, what you're saying to me. And this is all of the things that you need to do in order to get there. And so early on in my career, becoming a certified financial planner 
was planted in my psyche. And even though I didn't pursue it immediately, it was a, a seed was sparked or planted that began to grow. And as I, because I worked for a lot of different places and I don't regret any choice that I made with my career because it has made me who I am today. And I gained so much insight from all of the places that I work, whether it was from the people or the experience. But that seed planted is what has led me to becoming a certified financial planner. And then I always wanted to have my own business. So you tied it together and here I am. So you and I are in the less than 15% of owners as women owners of a wealth management firm. It's kind of striking that it's such a small number. In fact, there is no exact number because no surprise, they don't study it. (laughs) But we have a pretty good idea that it's well less than 15%. But I'm curious, especially having a daughter who may someday become a business owner herself, what do you like and not like about being a business owner and then specifically this kind of business, a service business? So I've asked myself and thought about this question, would I do it again? While I have enjoyed this experience and this journey that I've been on, knowing what I know now, I don't know if I would take this road again, because it's hard, because we have to know so many things Because I think sometimes when you go into business, your your initial thought is that I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And you're focusing specifically on the thing that you're good at, not recognizing that you have to also know all these other components when you run a business. So, yes, I have to be able to understand people's financial lives and then put together a plan for them. But I also need to understand marketing and sales. And I need to understand branding. And I need to understand my own financials. Like, what are my financial statements when they are shared? What story is that painting about my business and how I run my business? You need to understand about... HR and all of the laws around HR and uh, you have to be able to manage people, whether you're outsourcing or you have people internal, you still have to understand people and how to interact with them in order to get the product that you want. You have to understand systems. So I use a lot of technology in my business. So you need to be comfortable with technology and be open to learning something new all the time. (laughs) So. With that, it's thrilling and it's exciting, but there are times when it's exhausting and you just want everything to run smoothly and it doesn't. And so I am definitely enjoying my journey, but there's a question mark knowing what I know now as to whether or not I would do it again. That's really interesting. And I, I think a little disappointing in one respect, because we want young women to think about business ownership, but I, I share some of your same concerns. And if we think about those young women, did you have a business sponsor or mentor? I did not. And so I fumbled my way along to figure those, all those things you just mentioned. And would you, if you did have one, I'd like for you to talk about that. And if you didn't, would you suggest to women in particular who want to own their own business, it is so much more than just doing the work? Mm-hmm. Well, early on, I actually did work with a coach and her background is operations. So what we worked on initially was my vision, painting the vision that I wanted for my business. 
So I would say if you are deciding to go into business, definitely you should have a mentor and a cohort of other business owners that you can talk to. I did that as well. So I had a coach and I also created a cohort of other business owners that we met on a regular basis to talk about different aspects of our business. And the combination of those two things were very helpful because when you hear about the issues that other business owners had or have, then you can also learn from trying to help them. And finding out the conclusions that they come through or the resolutions that they come through, that they decide upon with whatever issue they're facing, that was also helpful. So I think the combination of those two things were great for me because I had other women that I could talk to and they were not in my industry. So let me just preface that. They were not in my industry, so they gave a different perspective. I, I'm not saying that they can't be in the industry, but I think there's something to be said about having someone that doesn't have the perspective of being in this industry because sometimes they can see things that you can't see. The third thing that I that I would say that I did was I created an advisory team to help me. And when I built the advisory team, I pulled in a couple of clients who have been very supportive of my business and shared my name amongst their friends. They were like my biggest cheerleaders. And then I brought in other professionals like a business banker, a CPA. That's not my CPA, but a a CPA and IT person to kind of round out the people who could provide me with insight on things that I may not see or be aware of. And that those three things have been very, very helpful. So having a coach, having a cohort of of other women business owners to share with, and then having an advisory team have been key to my survival. Something else that occurs to me, especially with women, because while we might be 51% of the population and control by decision a lot of money, we don't necessarily always have a lot of assets in our name. And your firm that you've built is an asset you could sell one day should you decide to. And that's a little different than the paycheck. You know, the paycheck comes with benefits when you're working for another company. But one of the things that is a, a real goal for a lot of business owners is to build something that they can transfer at some point. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's another thing, too, is how do you view what you're building? So do you view this as an entrepreneurial endeavor or do you view this as a business? Because those are two different vantage points to view what you're doing. I know that what part of my legacy is that I want to have built a business that is then passed on in some way. So it may be passed on to my daughter. I don't know or it may be passed on to employees. But those are two of the things that I, in going through and thinking about what I was trying to build, I also thought about what I wanted to leave behind. And then in doing that, I'm able to hopefully work backwards to make sure that I'm doing, putting in the efforts and seeking out the advice and support to make those things happen. 
And it's not like it's all work and no play. You have a fun take on wealth, which really I'm sure is appreciated by your clients and all the people that you help. And there are shoes involved. Now, remember, your host today is someone with two titanium ankles. So I live in flat shoe land. <laughs> I'm so jealous of someone who, because my husband is a, he loves that high heel look and I cannot pull it off. But you're known as the planner to the well healed woman. Your blog is called Finance and Stilettos. I if I'm not mistaken, that's the name of your book as well. Yes, it is. And your podcast is called Heels of Success. I, I love that. I think most people respond to that. But tell us a little bit more about all those things you're doing and the shoe connection. So when I started out, I was putting together a presentation for women and I was like, what can I say to them that will grab their attention and make them want to come? And my husband and I were sitting up one night as I was putting together the presentation and the name Finance and Stilettos is what came out of that discussion. And so that's what I titled the presentation. And then I was talking to several people who shared with me, that name is hot. You need to, you need to use that in more profoundly in, in your work because it's such a, a great name. And that's when I decided to name my blog that. And I was like, well, I'm going to continue to use it. So it was the name of my blog. And then I decided to write a book under that same title. And I just felt like the idea of finance and shoes, which is something that I, I love, beautiful shoes. So it's coming from something that I love. And I think I hope that people will, as they listen to this, will understand that when you're thinking about how you brand yourself, think about the things that you love and try to incorporate them in some way into your professional life and in your business, because that's what differentiates you from other people. And it also connects you with those who have that same passion, like they love shoes. Um, now, I will tell you, that the older I've gotten, I'm not wearing, you know, stilettos all the time because they actually do hurt my feet, but I will sit in them real nicely. <laughs> Have you ever had to put a client on a shoe budget? Oh, wow. That's an interesting question. Or yourself. <laughs> no, actually, I'm pretty conscious about my spending. I've always been pretty conscious. So I kind of go through a debate in my head about whether or not something is really worthwhile to buy or not. Because I literally do have a bunch of shoes in my closet that now that our professional lives are more casual, I'm not even wearing. And I look at them and it's hard to give them away too, especially if he's like, oh yeah, I remember when I purchased that shoe. And so, no, actually, I have not had to put anyone on a shoe budget. But my approach with working with clients about, but first of all, let me just state this. I kind of hate the word budget. I like yeah. the word cash flow instead, because for me, budget has a negative connotation. So I just like the word cash flow. It seems to roll off the tongue easier. And I think it takes people to a better place, mental space when they hear that word as opposed to the word budget. And I know people have tried to make budgets sound sexy, but in my mind, it still has a negative connotation. I think a lot of people agree with you on that, but I really related to your going back to the time you wore the shoes and how important that was, because I didn't always have titanium ankles. And 
before that, I did have beautiful high shoes and I had to give them all away because I can't ever have them again. And there was a little bit of, <sighs> but you know, you adjust. So getting a little bit more serious here, you, you are a smart, accomplished black businesswoman who happens to have chosen wealth management as your business. But I've been doing this for 30 plus years and I think it's a really tough industry to succeed in if you're a wealth management business owner. So you've had even higher hills to climb due to racism. This past June, you shared some of your thoughts on this topic and struggles with financialplanning.com in an opinion piece. The first, let me say, I'm sorry that you've been through what you've been through. But I do want to ask you, because you said these exact words in your piece, what's your journey been like as a Black woman financial advisor, and how can I help you as a a fellow owner in the industry? So what does allyship look like? For me, it looks like us having conversations and honest conversations, because what I really feel is that once we get over the superficial, which is that I'm Black and you're white, the foundations of what we deal with as women and as business owners are similar. So I I think that's number one is always about starting with a conversation and being able to have an honest and frank conversation about what our journeys have been like and then respect each other's viewpoint. So it's not about that what I've been through should be viewed any differently than from what you've been through. It's just about I guess, respecting each of our journeys and seeing how we can help each other going forward. And that can look different depending on who I'm talking to. So I think that other female financial advisors, but it doesn't have to be female, it could be men as well. How can they support us? I think in sharing that story, it was all about about my journey and how I just wanted to be heard, to be honest with you. I didn't share that story for anyone to pity me at all. I just wanted people to recognize that this exists and to be aware of how to interact with people when they see people at conferences and when they see us at different events to acknowledge us and talk to us. Because a lot of times you feel like an outsider. So you're in an industry that's dominated by white men. And then So that's one thing. And then you go to these events and then no one sits beside you and have a conversation with you. And I found that that part of it, it didn't matter that I was black. It was actually I encountered a lot of women who said that they encountered the same thing. So I think another thing is, is giving us opportunities. So one of the things that I hope to be able to do at some point is purchase another business from another advisor and to be given that opportunity where they like what I've done and they like what I stand upon, my value position, my uh, mission. And they can see that even though their clients might be majority white, that they still align with what I value and what my overall mission is and would be willing to sell their business to me. That would be something that's very, very powerful. I have never had anyone ask me to this day, hey, I'm interested in selling my business. Would you be interested in sitting down and having a conversation with me on what that could look like? And if it's possibly you that will be willing to take, um, be my part of my succession plan. 
So I have a dream where women business owners in wealth management knit together their firms and become a big regional presence and then someday a national presence because it's we're so busy working most of the time that we don't share our stories. But I just learned from you that you've been in some of the same space that I have for many years. And I have actually bid on another firm more than once and been told I'm too small to acquire when my size, even my same size, I was told I was too small. And I feel like it's, again, that chicken and egg problem. Well, how do I get bigger if I can't even buy you? My cash is as green as his. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like, and this is a larger conversation probably for another day, but our industry is consolidating. And it's consolidating among the very people who already owned it. Yes. <laughs> so I feel like for as women business owners, we need to raise our voices to be heard that we also own, run, and succeed with clients. So I'm glad you brought that up because that little detail, I didn't even know. I know there's other women looking, but I didn't know you had been looking as well. And so that feels like a a real ripe area for discussion and future conversation to see what how we can change that. Yeah. Definitely. And that has always been part of when I, so again, going back to my coach, she asked me what 20 years looked like. And that was part of the, one of the ways that I wanted to grow was to purchase other businesses because the the industry is saying, oh, the industry is old and they need to, you know, come up with succession plans. But are you looking for the people who are willing to purchase? Are you willing to have conversations with us and to give us opportunities? Because at the end of the day, people can talk all they want. I'm, I'm not big on talk. I look at what people do and their actions and and what they're contributing to the world. And that tells me more of your story than anything you can say out of your mouth. True. So getting away from just the strict ownership of a business, if you could wave a wand and make lasting change in our industry, how would you change our industry? What might it look like? Everybody has the same opportunity. Mm. It's not based on where you come from or what you look like, your culture, but everybody who decides that this work is something that they want to do, because I do feel like it kind of calls you. I don't think anyone just jumps into this industry haphazardly, but when they make that decision that they're going to honor that call, that they all have the same opportunity. It's great. Great words. I, I hope people hear it. If you could, so going away from just our industry, if you could wave that wand one more time to make lasting change, how would you change the way we talk as a nation about money? So I think that we need to just talk about it because as women, we're more comfortable talking about everything else And money tends to be the thing that we least want to have a discussion about. And so I would say that it becomes part of normal conversation from the time you have your first child and you're introducing that you introduce that to your children at a very young age. And it becomes second nature, whether they're a girl or a boy that you're just having natural conversations about how to handle money. And again, going back to something I said earlier, that there's a purpose tied to the money. So it's not just, I just want to have money just to have it, but I'm growing my income and my wealth because of something bigger that I want to do with it, whether it's to leave it to 
a charity, whether it's to leave it for your family so that they can have opportunities that you didn't have. So you're creating a floor for them so that they could either build a business of their own, carry your business to the next level, get however much education they want in life. Um, They're able to, to live in an environment that they want. They're able to travel, whatever that looks like. You're able to, to do all of those things. And that is not unusual to have these conversations. It's not looked at as weird or uncomfortable. I think that's a better way to say is that it's not an uncomfortable conversation. I was watching a movie yesterday and I hate these stereotypes. So I guess if I wanted to add something else to it, that the stereotypes between how women and men handle money would not exist. Because as I was watching this movie, I was listening to the conversation and it was naturally assumed that the, the male in in the movie could handle the money. And she immediately said, well, I'm not good with numbers, so I'm going to d- depend on you. And I realized as I was watching the movie, I was like, oh, that's not what I want my daughter to hear. And I think you're also pointing out that it's not an age-specific conversation. So your daughter, who may someday marry and may someday have children, since she's still the only one that can have children, women often have a period, whether it's days or years, in their life when their work income is impacted by that choice. And the contract that is marriage doesn't cover it, right? So it's we don't ensure that women who make those choices. So I loved your comment about boys and girls learning about money because presumably if she marries a boy, that boy who has a financial education is a better partner because picking a partner is a financial decision. And I feel like the other thing that's true about money that you're touching on is it's everywhere. You go out the door to have lunch. You're in a restaurant. Some people are working. They're earning income. You're not in that moment. You're spending it. And like you say, you don't have to call it a budget. It can just be cash flow. It's just how you spend what you've got. So I love that idea about how we as a nation talk about money. We start talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and I both focus on women and wealth. So I'm still surprised, and you touched on this as well, after all this time, how few women take a material interest in the family. That is a little bit of a stereotype, but in our divorce work, we also see it's still so true. I think, or I feel, that when we look at our money, and I'm going back to what I said earlier, that attachment. So you're looking at the cash flow as it comes in and you're really thinking about what it is that you you want to do with your life. So one of the things that I do with clients is is that I ask them about their life and what is it that they want to achieve in life because there's a disconnect there. And sometimes you can end up in spaces from a professional perspective because you haven't really thought about what you wanted your life to be. And so you're focusing on, well, I'm making this this income to pay bills. And so I was listening to a book recently called The Power of Moments. Mm. And at the end of the book, it was very powerful, the question it asked. And it was, if you knew that you were going to die in a year or two, how would you live your life? And 
what I hope to impart upon my clients is that they're living their life with purpose and that the money that they make ties to them honoring that purpose. So therefore it gives it value. But the value isn't about how much it is. The value is what it creates in your life and the legacy you're able to leave with it. And I know you've written a lot of these things down because you're also an author and have been quoted very often in major publications and on CNBC. So tell us a little bit about why you became an author and also why writing and speaking skills are so important to success. Well, communication just in general is important to success. Whether you're speaking, writing, those things are very important to be able to communicate your message, whatever that message is. And I didn't, I'm going to tell you, I did not appreciate that when I was growing up because I, I didn't like English and I didn't feel that I could write. And that was because I wasn't encouraged. So let's just Uh, add that to the scenario as well. I wasn't encouraged to, and I didn't feel that I knew how to honor my voice in a way that made sense for others to grasp what I was saying. So I will never forget my English teacher from 12th grade, my 12th grade year. Her name was Miss G. (laughs) I don't even know if she's still alive. I have no idea, but I will always remember her. She told me when I approached her about my writing and she said, Zanelia, you have a lot to say. Now just organize it and it takes time. Organize it such that to get it out of your head and and, and get it written down. So, and she also talked about the first time you write something, it's, it shouldn't be the last, it's, you should edit. Editing is your friend. But she was the first one that that told me that my, what I had to say mattered. And so communicating, and that's something that I'm trying to emphasize with my daughter, is that we all need to be effective communicators, no matter what position you have, whether you're a financial advisor or planner like we are, uh, where communication is very, very important. But I even think sometimes in our industry, like we're not the most effective with communicating. We don't articulate our value value proposition very well. And Sometimes we're not the most effective with talking to our clients and making it easy for them to understand the things that they need to do. That's something I'm working on every day is how can I better share with my clients what they need to do right now? Well, our industry is filled with jargon. Some of it's natural because money is sort of like this other language as well. And you can't wait till adulthood to start learning about it. But I agree with you. The ability to speak plainly about the concepts that matter to people is really, really important. So switching gears, we've all been tested in different ways during COVID. How have you been tested personally or professionally? And what, if anything, has changed for you in 2020 as we remain home for the most part? I've been busier. So that's number one. But as far as having a virtual capacity with my practice that always existed. I could meet with clients virtually. I had that in place. Again, going back to that, I use a lot of technology in my practice. So that didn't change except for the fact that my clients that are local are now having to talk to me virtually. But I think the biggest thing that COVID has done is made me appreciate some things that we take for granted 
the ability to interact with other people has been the most impactful to me. So I like interacting with people, but I also like my my time away as well, as well. But I'm missing the the engagement that you have from interacting with someone face to face that you can't get from talking to someone virtually. But believe me, I do try. I do try. And as far as being busy, so I'm thankful for the opportunity that people are finding me and are seeking me out and wanting to have these conversations about their finances now. I think people have a lot of lot more time on their hand or things are becoming more clear on where they want to focus their time. And so whereas before before COVID, we were just busy running. And now it just gives you a time to sit and think about the things that's important to you. And it has evoked an interest in people wanting to get their finances together, which is driven activity for my business. Sure. And have you found too that the people that are surviving this period with the most comfort financially expected trouble, maybe not this kind of trouble and maybe not this much trouble, but they planned for rainy days. Is that what you're seeing as well? I think that, I don't know if I would say that. I'm actually finding that people are actually more focused on retirement and making sure their retirement is together. So I'm not getting the panic about having uh, emergency cash. It's really about what does the future hold for me in regards to them living the life that they want and and what that looks like. So believe it or not, we're actually at our last question. And it feeds into that, what you were just talking about, actually what you've been talking about really in one way or another, the entire conversation. A fundamental belief that we hold and one of our whys for doing this podcast is that by sharing our real stories, we learn from each other. We get to know each other better and we bridge that distance between each other. What story can you share with our listeners about how you know that this is not a dress rehearsal? Well, because we only have one life to live. And the way that you do that, in my opinion, is understanding what your purpose is on being here. And so that's taking moments to be quiet, to hear. And a lot of times we don't do that. So I hope that during this time that people will take moments to just be silent, to hear what resonates with you. And that you honor that by doing things in life that allows you to live your life on purpose. And so when I think about my life and what I want that to look like, I always think about my legacy. And my legacy is twofold. It's the legacy that I'm building upon, which my grandmother laid, and the legacy that I'm leaving my daughter. And so that's what drives me in my decisions with how I live my life and to live it on purpose and not look at it as though it's a dress rehearsal. Thank you sincerely, Zanelia, for joining us on the podcast and for sharing your candid thoughts. We wish you continued great health, happiness, and success. If you would like to learn more about Zanelia and her work, visit hhwealth.com. That's hhwealth.com. Thank you. This podcast and any related material is provided for general information and entertainment purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, investment, or other professional advice. 
for professional advice in any realm, contact the appropriate professional. We assume no representation or warranty, express or implied, for accuracy or completeness of content. We assume no responsibility for information contained in the podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Links to external websites are provided solely for your convenience. We accept no responsibility for any linked sites or their contents. Use of this podcast and its content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.